Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Great. Well, the Lord's here, isn't he? It's a real lovely sense of God's presence this morning, and uh, hopefully you're feeling that too. Um, yeah, okay. Now, exploring Colossians. So we continue our series in this, this short letter that Paul wrote to encourage a young church in, uh, in a place called Colossae. And um, any of you had a chance to sit down and read the letter all the way through yet? Yes. Okay, that's quite a low percentage. <laughs> <laughs> so consider yourselves in detention. It's only four chapters. Literally, you can read it fast and you can read a Twitter scroll or an Instagram feed. You can read it very quickly. It's a short letter, four chapters. I would encourage you to read it because um, it will give you a feel for the whole letter rather than we doing it in chunks over these weeks. But if you read the whole letter, uh, you can just really get a feel for Paul's heart. He was in prison in Rome. A friend had come to him, a friend called Epaphras, had come to him to visit him and encourage him. And while he was there, Epaphras told Paul, about this young church in Colossae and how well the new believers there were doing. They planted a church, they were growing, but also they were under pressure. Anybody experience any pressure in their lives? <laughs> See, you answer that one, don't you? So, you, you? so these guys were just like you. They were under pressure. They were under pressure from the culture they were in, from the circumstances they were in. So let's just dive straight in. We look at chapter 2, and we go from verse 6 to, uh, through to 23 today. Let's look at this first section. So Paul's writing, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Anyone heard of something called imposter syndrome? Anyone struggle with imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome makes you feel like you're a bit of a fraud. And at any point in your life, someone's going to discover who you really are, and then you'll be in trouble. You're just getting away with things by sheer luck at the moment. Any job you do or role you do, you're really just you know, flying by the seat of your pants. And at some point, someone will discover, actually, you're not who you make out to be. And uh, that's what imposter syndrome is all about. Anyone resonate with that? Well, experts did a study on who suffers from imposter syndrome. And here are the results. So you get people who get imposter syndrome, other people get imposter syndrome, and then everybody else who will also get imposter syndrome. So the reality is we all struggle at some level with feeling like we don't measure up. Somehow we're lacking or we've not quite made the cut. And that's okay because that's part of our human condition. We all struggle, don't we, sometimes with feelings of self-doubt. We all struggle sometimes like it's other people that are really, you know, have made it and we haven't quite made it. We're, we're falling short in some way. And these Colossians, these young followers of Jesus, would have felt the same way. The human condition was the same then as it is now, that have had these feelings of self-doubt and concern. Even though they were growing in Christ and that things were happening around them, they might have felt a little bit of insecurity. And Paul was worried that they might succumb 
to some things because of this insecurity. He was worried they might have to go away and feel like they need to add something to their young faith. They need to add something to Jesus to make themselves acceptable to the, the conditions or the people around them. And we'll look at some of the pressures the Colossians were facing in a little while, but just think about yourself this morning. How does imposter syndrome manifest itself in your life? What do you feel you need to be or you need to add to yourself to make yourself more acceptable or maybe feel like you've somehow made the cut? Because it, it's there for all of us to some degree. And so I'll just leave that with you as you think about that for a little moment as we push on into this letter. So Paul encourages the Colossians to live their lives in Jesus. Just as you receive Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. And this, as we said on week one, is the essence of Paul's whole letter. If you stripped everything else away from this letter, this is the core of what Paul wants them to do. You receive Jesus, and I want you to continue to live your lives in him. What does it mean to receive Christ Jesus as Lord? I think sometimes in church, we often reduce that down to kind of a very personal thing. I touched into this on week one, that we've kind of reduced the Christian faith right down to you open the door of your heart, you let Jesus in, you and Jesus have this little sort of personal thing going on, and that's the extent of Christianity. But actually for Paul, to receive Jesus is a much, much bigger thing. He uses these three words here, Christ Jesus as Lord. And they have different meanings, Christ the Messiah. The, the one that the Jewish people were waiting for, the one who would come and make everything right. Christ Jesus as Lord, Lord and King. So for Paul to receive Christ wasn't just a little personal thing. It was actually to accept that there was a new king of a new kingdom that God was bringing and you were receiving him as Lord of your life. Now kings and kingdoms, we're not, we're not very familiar with unless we watch Game of Thrones or something like that. We may be, or some... some some history programs or some dramas. We get a sense of what lordship and kingship is all about. But in our modern construct, we don't really have anybody who fulfills that kind of role. But for Paul to receive someone as lord and king was essentially to enthrone them in your life and to treat them as if they were in charge, as if they were the one who basically were now sitting on the seat, sitting in the driving seat of your life. Sometimes we reduce Jesus to this. A little, a little, has anyone got a dashboard Jesus? This isn't your dashboard Jesus, is it? It's gone. A dashboard Jesus. I've got to say, Chris once bought me an inflatable Jesus. It was fantastic, but he deflated quick, quite quickly. So I think he was... Um... But yeah, sometimes receiving Jesus is about receiving someone who we can kind of stick on the dashboard or stick into one of our pockets. That's sometimes how the Christian faith has been kind of reduced you know, we say yes to Jesus, and then we kind of stick him in one of our life pockets. It's just another bit of our lives that we've now got down. We've got the faith bit down. Jesus is now a convenient part of our lives. But you remember Paul's poem at the start of this letter. He said this, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And he goes on to use this incredible language to describe that Jesus is above everything, over everything, in through everything. He's much, much too big to sit on a dashboard. And he's much, much too big 
just to sit in one of your life pockets and to conveniently sit there for when you want to describe yourself as a Christian. For Paul, to receive Jesus is to essentially completely change the landscape of your life and to live your life from that perspective going forward. Jesus, if he really is Lord and he really is King, affects every aspect of our lives. He changes everything. And Paul describes this in really vivid language later on in this letter, in Colossians 3.3, which is a great verse to memorise. Don't like memorising Bible. Colossians 3.3, really easy. You died and your life is now hidden in Jesus. Try it. You died and your life is now hidden in Jesus. Colossians 3.3. And what Paul is saying essentially, when you come and receive Jesus as Lord, essentially, he does a restart. Somehow you enter into his death and resurrection and you come out a new creation in Christ. You come out with a new king and a new perspective and that's what it means to receive Jesus. Thank you. Jesus. (laughs) Jesus infiltrates and changes every part of our lives. He doesn't just sit in a pocket or on a dashboard because he's Lord and King. And so for Paul, this clearly meant for the Colossians, you receive Jesus and now you walk it out. You live like you've received a new king. You live like you've received a new lord. We might say in modern language, your walk reflects your talk. So think for a moment, if you're a professor, a professor, that's not the wrong word, if you say you follow Jesus this morning, if you profess to follow Jesus, apart from coming to church on a Sunday, how does that affect your life? How does saying that Jesus is Lord of your life affect your life when you're not in this building and listening to me? Because that's the essence of what Paul is saying to these Colossians. How are you living out of the person of Jesus Christ? It's challenging, isn't it? It's challenging because sometimes we would like to take Jesus and just stick him in a pocket. So on a Monday, we haven't got to have an embarrassing conversation with somebody about what happened on a Sunday. What did you do yesterday? Oh, just things, you know, watched a bit of TV, chilled. Went to church. What did you just say? <laughs> we want to just put Jesus away in a pocket, don't we, sometimes, and actually just focus on the rest of our lives. But Paul says to receive him as Lord and King is to change everything, is to infiltrate everything. We now have a risen King who we serve and worship, who's helping us to live differently. And Paul tells we can live differently because we're rooted and built up in Jesus, strengthened in the faith, overflowing with thankfulness. Paul is laying on these metaphors here to describe what it is to be a person who's received Jesus. You're rooted in Jesus like a tree. You're being built up in Jesus like a house. You're secure in Jesus like a legal document. And you're overflowing with thankfulness like a, like a jug of wine. All these different metaphors Paul is using to describe what it is to live in the person of Jesus. So Paul is writing to this young church, young believers, and saying, you are, this is you now. You've received Jesus. Continue to live your life in him. But Paul recognises they're under pressure. He says, don't let anyone take you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Paul's worried that the Colossians will experience some sort of imposter syndrome. They'll feel like they're not quite enough. And around them, there'll be teachers of other religions and other, other things that could try and pull them away from Jesus. 
There were Hellenistic Jews at the time who had, had amalgamated Jewish tradition and Greek culture. And they would be saying to these young believers, well, you're not fully accepted by God because you don't follow the Jewish traditions. You don't do the things that we do. There'd be different things that we'd be trying to pull them away that make them feel like they need to add to Jesus to make themselves acceptable. And Paul calls these things hollow and deceptive. (coughs) Hollow and deceptive philosophy. He wants these believers not to be dependent on anything but the person of Jesus Christ. And what he was saying to them was, you are complete in Jesus. You don't need to add anything to Jesus to make yourself acceptable to God. And again, have you ever felt the temptation to add something to Jesus? Maybe it's the latest fad, the latest book, the latest thing, the latest Christian phase that comes along. We're so good at doing phases in Christianity. My, my bookshelf is full of the kind of phases of Christianity. You know, whether it be we need to pray for 24 hours a day or we need to rediscover the holiness of God or we need to go all into servant ministry, or whether we, we, just, we just go backwards and forwards looking for the thing that will make us most acceptable to God. But Paul tells the Colossians they're already complete in Christ. They're complete in him. And he tells you and I the same today. As you sit here today, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are complete in Christ. You don't have to add anything to yourself to make yourself more acceptable to God, to make yourself more, somehow more religious or more holy. Paul explains why. He says, For in Christ the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been, taught, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head of every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So we get a sense in here of some of the pressures the Colossians are under. They were under a pressure from, from Jews to basically they need to follow certain Jewish traditions, circumcision being one of them. And Paul says you don't need to add this to your faith in Jesus to be acceptable to God because these things are a shadow. They've passed away. Because Jesus, who's the head and power over everything, has filled you. He's brought you to fullness, to completeness. So nothing's going to come along to usurp Christ. Nothing's going to come along to to go over him or above him or beyond him. Paul says, in Christ, you are already full. You're full of God and you are complete in God. Many things will seek to rival Jesus, but none of them you need to add to yourself to make yourself complete. And Paul talks about this circumcision that's not carried out by human hands. Sorry, men, if you're crossing your legs at this point. But... He's talking about a cutting off of flesh that's somehow done spiritually. This is a spiritual act that's done when we receive Christ. Something is done, the old self is put off, and a new self is put on. And Paul says, you symbolically died, as I mentioned in Colossians 3.3. You, you, you're buried with Christ, and you're raised with him. The same power that raised him from the dead now lives in you, if you receive Jesus. And so being a Christian means dying to a lot of the old stuff means dying to old habits and old allegiances and then being part of a new kingdom, coming alive in the family of God. And I can imagine this is a lot to take in. Imagine the Colossians first receiving this letter and really getting their heads around what Paul was saying, the dynamics of what's taken place in the heavenly realms. Because when you receive Jesus, if I'm honest, not a lot changes on the surface, does it? You don't get a new body, 
You don't get a new hairstyle. You don't get, in a sense, it feels very samey. Even though you've done this incredible thing of receiving Jesus into your life. And if we shared our testimony today, we'd all have different experiences of what it felt like when we opened our hearts to God. But Paul says, when you look in the mirror, something has changed. Because something's taken place in the heart. Something's taken place in the spiritual realm. You died, and you're now hidden in Christ. And the life you live, you're now, you now live through him. And that changes everything. That gives you a freedom and a perspective you didn't have before. You're made, you're made new in Christ. And that empowers you to live differently. Paul says this, You are dead in your sins, and in the, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He took it away, he has taken it away, sorry, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Paul highlights that without Jesus, we are dead in our sins, which is very extreme language, isn't it? You know, without Jesus, you, you literally are dead in sin. And that doesn't sound very loving, does it? It doesn't sound like the sort of thing you want to find and read in a Bible. But the imagery here is very similar to what Jesus talked about when he used the parable of the lost son to describe the father's love. We've just, we've just sung a song this morning, the pride of the father. And that really flows out of Luke 15. The son who goes away, squanders his father's wealth, and then comes back in shame. And the father opens his arms in love to receive him and accept him. And the father, right at the end of that parable, says, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. So Paul says, without God, we are dead in our, we're alive in our bodies, but dead in our spirits. We, we need Jesus to come and make us alive. You can be physically alive, but spiritually dead. That's the reality of what it is to live in this world without Christ. So again, if you're seeking this morning, I encourage you, open your heart to God. Let him make you spiritually alive. Because the Father's love is waiting to welcome you, waiting to receive you. The Father brings us home. And Jesus reconciles us to the Father's love. We come alive in Christ, Paul says. And also in this passage, he describes two things, two barriers that are in the way that Jesus deals with. The first one he describes the charge of legal indebtedness. Quite difficult and clumsy language here in our modern translation. And the second one, the powers and authorities. What, what on earth do these words mean? They're dealt with in different ways, Paul says. One's cancelled and one's disarmed. Let's just pick these for a moment. What do they mean? Well, the charge of our legal indebtedness probably refers to something that's written down, a written charge, something that's written against you, like you somehow owe God and I owe you, or something that actually says somehow you have a charge against you. And Paul is most likely referring to the, uh, the Torah, the, the, the Jewish law. The problem with the Jewish law is no one could live up to it completely. Everyone fell short of it. And so it stood as a charge of debt. There was an indebtedness. There was a, a gap between what the law wanted and what people could actually live up to. There was an outstanding payment, if you like. And the problem with the Torah and the law was it shut the Jews up in this cycle of always missing the mark. That's what sin means, to miss the mark, miss the bullseye. And it also shut out the Gentiles from God's love because if you weren't a Jew, then you couldn't come into Torah and you couldn't receive God's love. And so God deals with this charge 
He deals with this charge by cancelling it. He pays the debt. And the debt is paid through Christ on the cross. So as Jesus was nailed to the cross, then this charge was also nailed there with him. And this debt was paid. It was paid in full by Jesus choosing to go to the cross. So every charge that could be written that could disqualify you from entering God's love and God's kingdom has been dealt with on the cross. When Jesus died, that debt died with him. So there is no outstanding debt over your life if you receive Jesus. There is nothing that can disqualify you from God's love. And we need to be really clear here. God wasn't the angry father who was somehow pacified by the sight of his son's blood. That's somehow gone around more recently in, in Christian sort of, people trying to unpick what it means that, for Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus chose to go to the cross. Jesus submitted to the cross as being fully man and fully God. God chose to deal with the debt. Cancel the debt out. So you sit here this morning, there's nothing that can come against you in terms of something where you fail to qualify for the love of God. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. God's love is complete for you this morning if you receive Jesus. Then the powers and authorities are disarmed. What on earth does this mean? Well, straight away you probably think of heavenly powers and maybe demons and angels and spirits. Actually, Paul is being much more rooted here. He's talking about the the Roman authorities and the the Jewish authorities. The Roman Israel would have represented the best sort of government at the time, the the strongest government around on the face of the earth. And, And Israel would have represented the highest religion. And these powers and authorities, they were angry at the person of Jesus. And they conspired to kill him. Because he challenged their authority, he challenged their supremacy. So they stripped him naked... And they crucified him. They crucified him on a cross, the height of pain and shame. And they held him up to public contempt. And then they celebrated their triumph over him. That's what the powers and authorities thought they'd done. But Paul says actually something different took place on the cross. God stripped them naked through the cross. God held them up to contempt through the cross. And God triumphed over them through the cross. There was this great inversion, this great exchange that took place. The powers and authorities thought they'd done their best work when they crucified Jesus. But they overreached themselves. And actually it was Jesus who triumphed over them through the cross, fully disarmed them, exposed them for what they were. They were just usurpers of Christ's authority and Christ's rightful place. And so by choosing the cross, they were disarmed. And so Jesus disarmed all the powers, past, present and future, all the authorities. Nothing stands above him because of his willingness to go to the cross. And so Jesus also breaks the hold of any power or authority over your life as you receive him. Nothing can usurp his rightful place in your life because he chose to disarm those powers and authorities by dying on our behalf. 
So now nothing has to bring you under its power. Nothing has to have authority over your life because of Christ who lives in you. Paul goes on to say this. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festivals, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail, but what they've seen, they're all puffed up with idle notions by their own spiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. So Paul pushes on, don't let the Jews tell you you need to go to this festival, uphold this tradition, because you don't. All those things were shadows pointing to Christ and Christ has fulfilled the obligation of them. So don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, by what, what you adhere to or what you don't adhere to. He also highlights what I call super spiritualism in this passage. Worship of angels. We don't know if anybody was actually worshipping angels per se in Colossae, but clearly there were people around who were pretending to be or claiming to be more spiritual. They had some sort of inside track that you need to add to Jesus to make yourself fully accepted. And again, the church has been brilliant at that over the years. You have to do this course. You have to read this book. You have to go to this place, this conference, because that's where God's at. That's what God's doing. And if you don't do it, you'll somehow miss out. And again, it, it taps into that imposter syndrome in us that was happening in Colossae as well. People were saying, add the worship of angels to Jesus and that'll make you more spiritual. And Paul debunks the lot. None of this is important. He says, don't let anyone judge you or disqualify you. Ever felt judged? <laughs> Ever felt disqualified? Christians are great at it. We are great at judging each other. We are great at determining who's in and who's out. That's what this is all about. Anyone a tennis fan here? You know what Hawkeye is? Hawkeye is all about determining whether the ball is in or out. So I think you get three challenges a set, and you can appeal to Hawkeye, and if you think a, a line call is wrong, you appeal to Hawkeye, and Hawkeye will tell you exactly whether the ball was in or out. Even it just shaves the line. That's what these people in Colossae were doing. They were trying to rule these believers in or out. And the church has been great at that over the years, deciding this is the line, and you're in, and you're out. Paul says, rubbish. Christ has fulfilled everything we need. In Christ we find fullness. Don't let anybody rule you in or out. Don't let anybody judge you or disqualify you. Don't let them trigger imposter syndrome in you and make you feel somehow you're lacking something you need to add to Jesus to make yourself accepted. Because Paul says these traditions and these things, they're all passing away, they're all shadows of things. They're passing away because Christ has come and fulfilled everything we need. And also he says that these people, they're somehow disconnected. They become disconnected from the reality of who Jesus is and disconnected from his body, the church. And so... They're not connected anymore to what God is doing and what God is saying. Because we all know the importance of, of the community of the church and the support that believers play in our lives, helping us grow and stay connected. So Paul says, don't let anyone judge you. Don't let anyone rule you in or out. Because in Christ, you have completeness. So he's coming into land now on this last 
section. Since you died with Christ, let's just pause there. You died. Did you feel it? You died, if you're a follower of Jesus, with Christ. Okay? That happened at some point in your history. There's a point at which the old you died and the new you was born. That's where the term born-again Christian comes from. That's been so slandered over the years. You died and you were born again in Christ. So you died to the elemental spiritual forces of this world. And what Paul's saying is you don't need all that woo-woo strangeness that sometimes comes around that we're so easily captivated by. Because in Christ, we've got completeness and fullness. Elemental spiritual forces like fire and wind and water that have been represented by the pagan deities and, and religions around in Colossae at the time. Paul's saying all that is of no consequence to you. But there are things around today that, that draw us in, hook us in. And we have to be aware of them. Don't act as if you still belong to this world and submit to its rules. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Paul, again, is having a poke at the Jewish traditions of what could be handled and what could and what was clean and was unclean. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with, with use, are merely on, based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they also lack any real value in restraining sensual indulgence. Anyone like to control things? <laughs> Sometimes when we feel out of control, we control the few things that we can control, don't we? Because we, we, we need to feel like we can control something. And so, you know, different things we can try to do to make our lives feel more in control. So it might be, the, you know, just the way we do things, what we choose to do, what we choose not choose to do. We need to have some sort of sense of control somewhere. And Paul says we can get trapped in kind of a, a religiosity where we, um, where we use control to try and make ourselves feel better, to try and deal with this sense of imposter syndrome, this lack that we may be feeling. And so sometimes... Religious things can, can have like a, a, a comforting effect on us because we feel like we're, we're somehow we're being more in control or being more compliant. And Paul says all these things have got an appearance of wisdom. They can sound right, but actually they're not really doing anything. They're not really changing anything in our lives. He attacks them. He says, actually, they're of no good. They don't actually produce anything. It's self-imposed worship, false humility, harsh treatment of the bodies. In the past, we've had whole traditions who would whip themselves, flagellate themselves to try and make themselves more holy, more godly, harsh treatment to the body, bring the body under submission. If we just get a bit more religious, a bit more in control, then we'll feel better about everything. We'll live better lives. But Paul's got a more radical solution, which we'll look at over the few weeks ahead. We don't cage the things that come into our lives and we want to, we want to try and control. We don't, just, don't, we don't just lock them up. You know, uh, unhelpful ideas or thoughts or temptations or practices or habits. We don't cage them. Actually, Paul says we, we deal with them much more ruthlessly. We bring them to Christ. Because these are things that are the imposters. These are the things that try and come into our lives and derail us. Add to Jesus. Take away the essence of our first love. They come and they try and worm their way in and usurp the authority of Jesus. 
And over the years, we've known the church succumbed to different things to make itself feel more acceptable, feel more holy, feel more loved by God. But Paul says all these things are just shadows. They're all passing away. They're of no use and no consequence. If you really want to deal with a problem in your life, you want to sort out an addiction or a controlling behavior, the only way to do it is to bring it to Jesus. You can't make a cage of control to put it into because it won't work. Eventually, it will get out. And we'll look more over the weeks ahead at how bringing these things to Christ and allowing Christ fully into our lives in every part can change us, transform us. Because there's things in all of our lives that want to derail us, they want to pull us away from Christ, they want to isolate us, they want to make us religious, they want to make us feel like we're, we carry shame or we don't measure up. And all these things are there waiting for an opportunity. And Paul says, don't cage them, because they will get out. Bring them to Jesus. So we'll talk more about that as we explore this letter over the weeks ahead. We'll be taking communion in just a moment. And communion is a great opportunity for us to take time to pause and reflect on what the Lord's saying to us. So we've got a good chunk of time to actually push into that. Paul was worried the Colossians would be carried off, taken captive by things that were trying to deceive them. And we face the same challenge today. Are there things in your life that are trying to carry you off, take you captive, deceive you? Are you suffering from imposter syndrome this morning? Do you feel like a lack in your life? Maybe God doesn't love you. He loves everyone else, but you don't quite measure up. Have you felt tempted to add something to Jesus to make yourself feel more accepted, more loved? Or perhaps you're feeling judged. Perhaps you're feeling like someone's ruled you out. Someone's acting like an umpire in your life. You might be under all sorts of pressures this morning, just as the Colossians were. You might be feeling pressure to be hard on yourself, to bring more control into your life, to deal with things you're not happy with. You might feel pressure to withdraw or isolate. That might seem like the right thing to do, the sensible thing to do, the safe thing to do. Or you might feel you've got to become somehow super spiritual to be more acceptable. You're frightened of missing out on the latest thing that God's doing. Perhaps for you it's falling back into religious tradition feels more comforting. The old ways, that's where, that's where God is. We don't face the same circumstances as the Colossians, but we do face, to a degree, the same challenges. We all struggle with a sense of not quite making it, not quite measuring up, not quite being Christian enough. Jesus wants to come and minister into that today. Because Paul said, spoke truly, he said, in Christ you have fullness, you have completeness, you have everything because of what he did and the way he loves you. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside. <laughs>